0: morning. How y'all feeling? (laughs) Y'all pumped up? Ready to go? Where are we going? I love y'all. Y'all are an amazing group of people. Do you know that? If I hadn't told you lately, I just want to tell you I love you. Uh, Stop it. How many of you have ever thought, or maybe even said out loud, I don't want to adult today? I don't want to adult today. And I know why you said it. You, you said it because being adult ain't easy. Is it? I mean, there's demands of balancing bills and budgets and annoying people, because you have to balance annoying people in your life, right? Y'all have some annoying people in your life, you may be sitting beside that annoying person <laughs> <clears throat> Boy, we just got personal. And then, and then you have to, you know, you have to balance a busy schedule. And sometimes, you know, all of that balance and everything will just wear you out. And I know that, you know, there are days when we say, I don't want to adult today. But I think if we're really gut level honest with say, I just want to quit. I mean, I don't want to be an adult anymore. So far, it hasn't worked out for me. I'm tired. I'm more out. I just want to quit being an adult. And you want to just call the bank, sorry, I'm not paying you no more. I don't want to be a responsible adult. But you can't quit. You just can't quit. And that's the pressure, right? The pressure that's put on us is that we cannot quit. So what do you do? Or maybe the better question, maybe this is a better question, how do you know when you've actually reached adulthood? (laughs) Ha-ha. That's a good one. Now, if you look back at, at Hebrew history, Way back in the day, you know, it was, it was more like an age. It was a chronological age. And so when you turned 12 years old, you know, you turned 12 years old, you were entering into adulthood. And if you're the parent of a 12-year-old, you're thinking, I don't think so, Skippy. Ain't no way is my 12-year-old anything remotely close to being an adult. In fact, you may be a parent here this morning, and you may have a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old, or a 60-year-old, and you would say, it ain't got nothing to do with age. Kirby, Ben, Case, in Point. Because it has nothing to do with the chronological age. So what is adulthood? What does it mean to be an adult? Um, Adulting is a popular hashtag on social media, or so I am told. And for those of you that know me, go, you don't do social media. You're right, I don't. But the people, the cool people that do tell me these things. And so that's what that's what they tell me. In fact, I understand that it's mostly people making fun of themselves as they struggle through trying to adjust to the responsibility of doing what adults are supposed to do, right? Responsible things. That's part of being an adult, is doing what's responsible. And just so you know, adulting is a man-made word, largely and legitimately. Adopted into the millennial vernacular. I got that straight off of Google. That's what they say. That's what they say that it is. And I would say this there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of areas in my life I don't know that I'm an adult yet. But one of the things I do know about being an adult is this <clears throat> if you're going to be an adult, you're going to have to learn how to deal with conflict. And let me just use this word conflict is inevitable. You cannot escape conflict. You cannot escape conflict in your own home. Some of you experienced conflict on the way to church this morning, right? As you were pulling on the parking lot, there was a little bit of conflict, a little tension there. And then you pulled up, on the, you pulled up onto the church grounds and it just everything changed, didn't it? And you walked through the front door, hallelujah, praise the name of Jesus. And you're just faking it. Conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable at home. It's inevitable at work. Everywhere we go, there's that tension that we have to deal with. It seems like everywhere that we go. I read a story the other day, a few weeks ago actually, about a man who was seated on a train beside these two ladies that were arguing about the window. One lady said, if we don't open that window, I'm going to have a heat stroke. The other lady said, well, if we open the window, I'm going to die of pneumonia. And so they were just arguing back and forth with each other. So they called the conductor. And So the conductor came over, and he was in the middle of this. And he just finally just walked off. He said, man, I don't, I don't know how to resolve this. And so the man that had been seated between them said, I know what we can do. I can resolve the conflict. I'll tell you what we do. We'll open the window. That'll kill the one. We'll close it, and that'll kill the other. And that'll be the end of the conflict. <laughs> Let me just say right out of the gate, that's not the right way. That ain't the Christian way to deal with conflict, right? So, how do we deal with conflict? How do we resolve inevitable conflict? The first thing you have to know is where does all conflict come from? What's the root of all conflict? And the Bible's really clear. And in fact, in the book of James, and if those of you here a few months ago know that James doesn't chew his cabbage twice. If you've you've read the book of James, James is really short to the point. He says what he needs to say. In fact, some people have even called James a little rude. He's a little rude at times because he's pretty bold with what he says. So here's what James says in chapter four He says, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come? From these evil desires, don't they come from this thing that's deep down inside of you? Really, it's all about what's inside of you that's bringing up the conflict that's in your life. You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Bottom line, all conflict comes from this one source, and that is the source that's within us. It comes from me just being selfish. I want what I want. And you want what you want, and there's a conflict. So now who's going to win for all the married folk? Let's be honest. We argue over the dumbest things, do we not? Really? Really? There's silly, stupid things that we argue over. For example, what is the proper way to fold a towel? Is it in halves or thirds? Excuse me? My wife said thirds. And and for those of us that are practical-minded know that the best way for those towels to fit neatly into the cupboard there, or cabinet, whatever you want to call it, I guess a cupboard is where you put your food, isn't it? What do I know? So anyway... It's, it's, I know I open it up and stick them on a the shelf. So here's the thing. If you put them in halves, it they just, they just works out so much better. Now, I, I, I do realize that there could be a biblical theological argument for folding them in thirds. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said that with her in here. I can't believe I said that. And then, how about the toilet paper? Are you over, or under kind of people. It's over. Who is an under people? Is there an under? We had one under person. Wow. It's got to do with your childhood or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's got to say that we're messed up. And here's the thing. These are simple, dumb, silly little things that over time can become a huge issue in a marriage. You know why? Because I want what I want. You want what you want. And I'm convinced that my way is right. So I'll fight you over it. Selfishness will make couples feel like first down markers on a football field. First down markers on a football field. You're chained together, and you're 10 feet apart. 10 yards apart. I said feet. Y'all got that? That's what selfishness will do to a marriage. That's what selfishness will do to any relationship. It will eat it. it will eat away at uh, community. It will eat away at the love and the mercy and the grace that you're supposed to feel for somebody else. Because you want what you want, and you're convinced that you're right, and you'll fight somebody over it. crazy. So how do we resolve inevitable conflict? How do we resolve it? You ready? I'm gonna give you three ways. Give your life to Jesus. Come on, this is church, what do you expect me to say? Give your life to Jesus. But Listen to me. I'm not just saying this. For some of you, you know what? You may be thinking, like, this is Jesus 101, right? So, like, this is Christianity 101. Like, this is the simplest day of the, of the year for us. Maybe you should have gone a little bit deeper, Pastor. No, I really, truly believe with all my heart. I'm not just saying this because it's Sunday morning. I believe that the place to start is by giving your life to Jesus. See, the Bible says that before we come to Jesus, we're in conflict with God. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, you went, wow, that, that just describes my life. Is it there's like a war raging inside of you? And you and you get that. You feel that. Maybe you didn't have the words for it, but, but now that you think about it and you process it, you say, you know what, you're exactly right. There's this battle that's raging on the inside of me. Colossians 1 puts it like this: this includes you who were once far away from God. And then it says, if you were his enemies, wow, you were his enemies. Why why are you enemies with God? Because you want what you want, and you don't want what he wants. So you're kind of enemies with him. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And I think most of us get that. You you don't have to be deep into theology to understand what this passage means. He says, yet now... He has reconciled you. This word reconciled, I learned something new this this week about this word reconciled. Actually, we we use that term loosely, actually. But what this word means is not just that there is a conflict that's been resolved. It's more than that. There's a friendship that's been created, a relationship that's been created. That's what the word means. I think this is awesome. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body and as a result he has brought you into his own presence and you're holy and you're blameless. Is this cool or what? You're holy and you're blameless. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. That's what makes us holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So we want what we want regardless of what he wants so somewhere in conflict. So Jesus came into this world for a really simple reason. It's to reconcile the broken relationship between him and his creation, us. So it was broken. So God said, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. So I'm going to fix it. So God, God, can you believe this? God decided, I'm going to fix the relationship by sending me. And so he sent his son. And so Jesus was willing to go to the cross. What did he do on the cross? He was willing to shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. That's awesome. So how how do we get there? Like, how do I start this relationship with Jesus? It's easy. It starts with humility. Hang on. It starts with humility. James 4, old James again. He did not chew his cabbage twice. He said, you know what? Just humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up in honor. So how do you start a relationship with God. You, you start by being humble. In other words, you say, God, I've been trying to do this thing on my own, and you know what? It ain't worked out. I mean, I got to be honest. The more that I try to do on my own, the more of my life I take into my hands, the bigger mess things become. So I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to admit that your way of doing things has to be better than my way of doing things, so I'm just going to surrender to you. It's awesome. That's how it happens. It's humility. And then it leads to this passage in Philippians 2. So Paul is, is uh, instructing a group of believers and he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Stop it. Be humble. If you were here a few months ago when we were That's been a year or so ago now. We're walking through this passage in Philippians. You'll know that Paul literally had to make up a Greek word for humble. There was no word, and so he had to make one up. So he says, I know you can't, can't, in this society that we live in, you can't wrap your brains around what humble is because it's all about being pride. It's about being a self-made man, a self-made woman. It's about climbing the corporate ladder of success. It's being a dog-eat-dog world. You don't care about anybody else but old number one. And so here's what he says. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You watched how he transitioned this. The only way that you can come to God is by doing what? It's by being humble. And then this relationship with Jesus is more than just saying, I'm going to heaven when I die. It's more than that. And then what God says is what I want you to do now, as you have humbled yourself before me, I want you to humble yourself before each other. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for your, only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So I humble myself before God, and then I humble myself before others. This is awesome. Well, do y'all say we wrap this puppy up and go home? Because this is like Sunday morning. You're the 11 o'clock crowd. It's easy preaching, right? The hard part is, well, how do I pull it off, though? See, so most of us, those of us that have been Christians for very long, it's like, I've not said anything you don't know. You already know all this, right? Hopefully, you've already known all this. This is not complicated. This is not difficult to understand. But how do I pull this off? And that's where sometimes in church, we just fake it till we make it. So we come in on a Sunday morning, we smile, and we grin at each other, and then we talk about each other behind their back. I mean, at other churches, not our church. But at other churches, that's what they do at other churches, right? Now, we're not perfect either. So how do we pull this off? I'm glad you asked. This is what Paul said in Philippians 4. He said, I can do what? Everything. All things. Those of you that are raised in church your whole life, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've got to admit at this point, is this this like too good to be true? So I like humble myself before God. I admit to him that my life, my way of doing things is not working. And so then I humble myself. I ask for his forgiveness I tell him how much I love him and appreciate what he did for me on the cross. I surrender my life to him, and then he wants me to change in how I act toward others. He wants me to humble myself with them, and then he gives me the power to do it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. you got to admit, it's a pretty sweet deal, right? So the first thing I have to do in order to resolve inevitable conflict is just give my life to Jesus. Give my life to Jesus, and then start following Jesus. Walking humbly before him, and walking humbly before others. Second thing, if I'm going to resolve inevitable conflict, I've got to do it quickly. I've got to do it quickly. You're going to love this passage. Everybody got quiet. You're just going to love this passage, Matthew 5. The words of Jesus you've heard that our ancestors were told that you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. And all God's people said, amen, preach it, give it to them, Jesus. But then he shifts gears. But I say, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. What? Jesus, were you having a bad day? Was it a slip of the tongue? If you call somebody an idiot, if, is anybody in here, have you ever called anybody in here? Go ahead raise your hand. You're in danger of being brought before the court. Now, I know because it's, it's a spring well. Has anybody ever cursed anybody? I ever hand in here. Go ahead and raise it up right now. <laughs> Some of you did on the way to church this morning. The person that pulled out in front of you. I'm just saying. What does it say? That's pretty strong language. So here's the point. So what is the point of this? He says, I want you to deal with your junk, and I want you to do it quickly. In fact, he says this, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, I personally wish he had let this out. If I, if I, had, if he had, been, if I had been there and said, you don't really have to go that far. So here's what he says. I'm a pastor. What do you expect? He says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar and suddenly you remember you got, that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, which I like that part. Thank you. You're the only one that got it. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come after and offer your sacrifice to God. So the bottom line, he's saying deal with your junk and do it quickly. And this is tough. How many of you would probably say, I hate confrontation? You know what? That's most of us. And it's, it's odd because I've been told over the years that I'm very confrontational. I've been told that by a lot of staff people. I've been told that by, you know, honestly, some church members and have said, man, I mean, you, you're like, you get up in people's face and they go, man, you, you don't know me. If you knew me, you would know that that's, I, I would love to avoid it if I could but here's what I've learned. When I avoid it, you know what I do? I know I'm going to lose two or three nights sleep. And that's made me mad over the years. I've said, I am losing sleep over that idiot. <laughs> <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that but that's the truth right and so then after two or three days I thought you know what and then and then I don't know about you but I build this thing up how about you do you build it up and by the time I'm done they started with this one little thing it's not what they said it's yeah it's how they said it and now I'm just I'm ready to I'm, I'm ready to get them you know and then you talk to them and then you could and they go what that's not what I said That's not what I meant by what I'm saying. And then this is worse. I am so sorry. (laughs) And if they fussed at you or something, you'd feel a little bit better, right? Handle conflict quickly. In fact, Ephesians 4 says it like this. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger... Gives a foothold to the devil. Do it and do it quickly. I know it's uncomfortable. I know that we don't enjoy it. But it's the right thing to do. Last thing. Do it face to face. I did not say Facebook to Facebook. Facebook do it face to face, that's a a real strange thing for us, face to face communication is even harder today than it's ever been, right, we're we're encouraged to avoid each other, you know, not get closer with each other, we're encouraged to avoid each other, believe it or not, young people, there was a time when the only way to communicate was face to face, how many of you are old enough to remember that, (laughs) Whoa, that kind of hurt, didn't it, and then we started writing letters, and then there, there was the invention of the telephone, and so we didn't have to write letters. we just call somebody and chew them out, you know. And, so, and, then, and then there was email. Oh, thank God for emails. You know what I'm talking about? Because you let somebody have it. you type typing away. I mean, the keyboard's smoking. And then you, bam, hit send. Or text. You know, and so we love, we love, to, you know, we love to text. And, and then if you're really, really mad at somebody, you can tweet about it. I mean, I don't, some people do that. I don't even know how to. Is it tweet? Tweet? tweeted? Or you post it on Facebook and the whole world knows. And you know what those people are? Cowards. They're just cowards. I'm not preaching anymore. I'm meddling. It's it's just, it's cowards. You're not man enough or woman enough to go to somebody else, but you'll put it on Facebook for the whole world to see. And we know what you're doing. You're just telling your half of the little story, and then you want to, what I call, circle the wagon. So you want to get everybody on your side against that one poor person. It's not what Jesus taught. In fact, here's what Jesus taught. He said in Matthew 18, if, a, if another believer sins against you, go privately. Go face-to-face. Point out the offense. And there, there's so much value in face-to-face confrontation. It just, there is so much. It, it's hard, if not impossible, to communicate an emotion with email or a text and it's, it's very easy to misunderstand. If you're texting, that autocorrect thing drives me nuts. Does it not drive you nuts? Have you ever texted something and went, oh, that's not what I said. I didn't mean that. In fact, I read this. I, I, I thought I'd just go on the Internet and I'd find some stuff, and I did. And so then, I found this the other day, and it's a wife who had texted her husband, happy birthday. So he, here's, here's what she wrote. She wrote, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dead husband. Happy birthday to you. He texts back and said, thanks. I assume you meant dear. <laughs> so how do we communicate right now, with as difficult as it is, how do we communicate in this time of pandemic, in this coronavirus thing that we're dealing with? Write this down. Get out your pants. I got you. Go to Lowe's and meet in Plumbing. <laughs> I don't know what they do at Lowe's, but you cannot catch the coronavirus at Lowe's. <laughs> if, if you could, half a Greer would be dead. I'm just saying. <laughs> or go to Home Depot. And if you've got to get groceries, just say, you know what? i got odds against you Will you meet me at Ingles, Right in the fruit and vegetable section. And we'll just hammer this thing out. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? He said go privately. So raise your hand if you've ever talked about someone before you talk to someone. And the rest of y'all are lying. (laughs) We've all done it. If you're a Baptist, you did it and you called it a prayer request. (laughs) It's the truth, isn't it? You know as long if you've been raised Baptist, you know you can say anything you want to say as long as you say, but I'm not, I'm not It's just a prayer request. I just need you to pray for Bill. Sorry, low down fellow that he is, you know. So how do we do it? Because we struggle with it. We struggle with the face-to-face stuff. We struggle with confrontation. How, how do we do it? Let me walk you through a couple things. The first thing, you know, honestly, just ask God for wisdom. I mean, this seems like kind of like a no-brainer, but you ask God for wisdom. I don't know about you, but there have been times for me when I've been so angry that I had to take a little bit of a time out, and you need to do it quickly, absolutely, but there's been a time when I think, you don't want, in fact, I remember telling a guy at church one time, he came up to me, he said, I think God's laid it on my heart, me and you need to sit down and talk, Pastor. I said, nope, that wasn't God. <laughs> he said, really? I said, because right now, the things I'd say to you, you, you don't want to hear. Right? Have you ever been there? So here's the the thing. Even as I think through this, what I need is some godly wisdom. So James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you know what you should do? You just ask God. And he doesn't just give you a little bit. It says he gives generously. God, the creator of the universe, is willing to generously give you all the wisdom that you need to handle any given situation that you find yourself in. And then, then the key is, then you got to listen for the Holy Spirit to whisper in your ear sometimes and tell you what to say right there in the moment. And there's tons of times when I've been standing there talking to somebody and I've thought, God, if you don't give me some wisdom right now, I'm thinking a lot into them, boy, I'm telling you. And there's been tons of times when I know it's Jesus and I know it's the Holy Spirit because he will say, no, don't. You, don't. you don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through. Because if you did, you'd be more understanding. So you just got to ask God. so That means you got to have a relationship with God, right? You got to walk humbly with God and say, God, I don't know what to do in this moment. I'm going to need you. The second thing that sometimes you have to do is you have to seek out some godly counsel. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says it like this, "The The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And then Proverbs 13 says it like this. Where there is strife, there is pride. Wow. See, we're right back, circle right back around to humility again. You see that? Pride. Hmm. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. The key is making sure that you seek out someone who's wise, but not just any kind of old wise. Some of the worst advice I've heard over the years, literally, Christians gave it. To be quite honest, Uh, you know, one Christian gets hurt, it goes to another Christian you know, to share the prayer request. And, and you know, I've been hurt, I've been wounded. And you know what our inclination is? Well, you know what my inclination is? If my wife comes home and tells me that she's been hurt and wounded, I'm telling you, I'm ready to fight. I'm going to defend the person I love. How about you? You feel the same way. The, the problem with that is that sometimes we lose our objectivity with that. And we give counsel that's not godly counsel. It's not good counsel. How do you know godly counsel? Because people ask me, well, Pastor, can you let me let me take you to a verse of scripture? Let me let me take you to this passage. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me tell you how he did it. Let me tell you what Paul said about this kind of situation. The only thing that really matters at the end of the day, how you flesh this out, is what does the Bible actually say? People have told me over the years, because we read so many unchurched people, they go, Oh man, unchurched people don't want to hear the word. And I go, who told you that? Fifty percent of our people would say that they're unchurched. Of Thirty-six percent of the 50 would say we've never been to any church of any kind. And let me tell you what my experience has been. is these are the people that are the most hungry for the word. They say, "I just need something to sink my teeth into. I've listened to wisdom from other people that led me nowhere. Give me Godly counsel. Give me, give me the word. Help me understand what the Bible says. So I pray and ask God for wisdom, and then I seek someone out who can, I can trust that will give me some really godly, sound wisdom. Now, there are some of us that are here this morning as followers of Jesus, let's just be honest, we haven't handled conflict very well. <laughs> there are whole denominations, believe me. Uh, that can stand up and say, we haven't done really good with conflict over the years. There are churches that would say, ah, we've got to be honest. We didn't know how to deal with conflict. We didn't know what to do. We didn't." But that's made up of people, fallible people just like you and me. And I'm talking to followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus and you would just say, you know what, I've got to be honest. I haven't always done it the right way. As simple as this may sound, you know what? I haven't always trusted God. I haven't always humbled myself. I haven't done it quickly. If that's you, and the thing I love about this church is because you can just be so gut-level honest, you know? So if that's you and you say, Scott, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I really stink at, at conflict, and I, I just need you to pray for me, and would you just slip up your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you for being honest authentic, real and genuine. So I, I want to pray for us. Lord, as followers of Jesus, we represent you. We don't always do a good job. And there have been a host of us this morning that have been willing to raise our hands and say, gosh, I stink at conflict. Lord, the sweet thing about being one of your kids is that I don't walk alone, but you are with me. You give me strength and you give me wisdom, power to live, and instruction through your word of actually how to deal with conflict that will be inevitable in all of our lives. So God, these folks that have just been humble enough to slip up their hand, right now would you just so speak to them and love them? Whisper in their ear and tell them that you love them. Give them hope. Instruction, Lord, through your word. And to find freedom. Every head still bowed, and every eye still closed. There's some of you that are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And a few minutes ago when I talked about that war that's raging within. Wow, that made perfect sense to you. And maybe you thought, you know what, I didn't know what to call it, but it's a war. I'm in conflict with God, I've been an enemy of God. And if that's been you, here's what I want you to know, I want you to know that, that God's crazy about you, crazy about you, so much so that He sent His Son, Jesus. And that Jesus is so crazy about you and longs so much to be in a relationship with you that he was willing to go to the cross and on the cross shed his blood, die a horrible, nasty death to pay the penalty for our sin. And I can tell you that he's alive, and what you are experiencing right now, honestly, is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. He's drawing you to himself. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and right now you say, you know what, I just want to humble myself before the Lord. I just want to confess to him that my way's not working. I want to ask for his forgiveness, and I'm ready right now to surrender my life to the Lord. If that's you, quietly right there in your seat, would you just pray a prayer something like this? Just tell him, say, Lord, I need you. The story of your love is almost too much for me to take in. And I do realize this morning that we've been enemies. I've been working against you. That I've been mourning what I want, not what you want. But this morning, I'm willing to confess that my way doesn't work. And that I need you need you in my life. Jesus, I believe you you are the Son of God. I thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you're alive. So I'm asking you to forgive me and to step into my life as I fully surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, what an amazing day! Lord, I love it when we get together, when we can hang out together as, as family, love on each other, encourage encourage each other. Lord, for those weeks when we couldn't meet, mm, I felt like there was a piece of me missing. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together in a place like this and we can. Worship together. Our hearts can be encouraged, challenged, reminded of your great love. We're reminded of just how big you are and that there's nothing that you cannot do. So, Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. It's in your sweet name we pray. Amen.